podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast for that ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, November 8th, 2020, and this is show number 809. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond was another installment of Programming by Stealth with Barbu Shots. We continue learning the version control system Git, and in this installment, Bart teaches us to travel through time. He had a lot of fun with the analogies, referring to Back to the Future more than once in his explanations. With Git, you can go back in time and see what your code looked like, but you'll end up with a detached head if you do. He enjoyed explaining what that whole thing is about, too. I especially liked learning that you can easily create an archive at a certain point in time that is just your code without all of the history. I've often needed to refer back to the way something used to work, usually because it's not working now, but anyway, with the archive, I can do it with a single command. You can subscribe to Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice, and be sure to follow along with Bart's amazing tutorial show notes over at pbs.bartificer.net. A few weeks ago, I wrote an article about all of the different things I do with my Apple Watch on a typical day. As I started making notes for the article over the course of a few days, I took screenshots of my Apple Watch that would demonstrate what I was trying to explain in the article. To take a screenshot on the Apple Watch, you simply hold down the digital crown and the side button at the same time. You'll see a quick flash to indicate that it has captured the screen and you're done. Now, one warning on taking screenshots. If you do this while doing a workout, for some dumb reason, the Apple Watch pauses your workout. This can be quite aggravating because, as I explained last time, it is not the burning of calories that we actually care about. It's getting credit for working out that matters. So if you do take a screenshot of your workout, be sure to resume it after you take the screenshot. Once you take a screenshot on Apple Watch, it will drop into your photos library on your phone. I take a lot of screenshots, so it's super helpful that Apple Photos automatically creates albums of different media types, one of which is called screenshots. That makes this task so much easier than it would be to dig through all of your photos library if you're trying to write an article or you want to send somebody a screenshot. Now, I could just drop these screenshots right into the blog post as is, but they wouldn't look very good. They're just barely not square at 324 pixels by 394 pixels. That's for a 40 millimeter Apple Watch. And they're so plain that they don't even look like a watch face. They look like a black rectangle with writing on it. Your reading experience on my articles would be vastly improved if the screenshots actually looked like a real watch face. Ideally, I'd like to add the frame of the watch and maybe a bit of the watch band added to the images. There's certainly manual methods to do this, and there are shortcuts that people have created to add frames to screenshots, but I found those those, um, shortcuts to be fragile and soon outdated. Now that we know the problem to be solved, let me tell you about a lovely little iOS app called WatchShot Screenshots, written by German developer Raphael Zaire. According to his blog, he originally created a shortcut to add the extra graphics to Apple Watch screenshots, but eventually he made it into an app, and I am so glad he did. WatchShot Screenshot is free in the App Store and runs on both iPad and iPhone. As Tim Verporten used to say, WatchShot does one thing and does it well. When you first launch the app, you'll see some line art representing a watch. Below that is a blue link button that simply says, choose a screenshot. After you allow access to all of your photos, you can scroll through recent images or use the albums tab to navigate to the dedicated screenshots album and choose an image. Once you choose the screenshot from your photos library, you'll see page after page of options for which watch color, material, and band you'd like to add to the screenshot. 
You could go from a dark aluminum watch with a hyper grape Nike band to stainless steel with an orange leather band to a ceramic watch with a pride band to a titanium watch with a Meyer lemon leather loop. There are actually 64 different watch and band combinations in WatchShot. Once you take a watch and select a watch and band combination, you can simply tap the link slash button that says save your watch shot. And that will put the new image into photos, leaving the original screenshot undisturbed. If you don't want to save it to photos, you can use the share your watch shot button to send the image to social media or store in Dropbox or anything else you can do in the share options. Your creation stays on screen after you save or share, which means you can go back into choose a watch with the same screenshot. For the screenshots for my article, I didn't want something crazy distracting, so I chose a rather unopinionated option of the aluminum watch with a Delft blue band. Unfortunately, that particular combo is way down in the giant array of options, so it was a bit tedious scrolling through it every time I wanted to modify a new screenshot, and I was doing tons of them. Luckily, after just a few times through, I realized there was a favorites tab. I only had to scroll one more time to choose my chosen watch and tap the word favorite underneath it, and now I had a quick and easy access to the watch I wanted to use. There's one other curious option in WatchShot, and that's to download watch faces. Now, I'd heard that Apple was going to allow us to share watch faces, but I hadn't experienced it. Unfortunately, it doesn't work particularly well in WatchShot, and I don't know why. When I tap download on a watch face, I'm redirected to a Squarespace website to download the face, so I guess that's where he stored them, and then it opens the watch app on my phone. One of the faces I chose successfully did add it to my watch, but the other ones I tried came back with an error that said, watch face unavailable. So I don't know why. It's definitely not a big deal that downloading watch faces doesn't work well, because it's the ability to quickly and reliably add watch graphics to screenshots that's the power of WatchShot. I'm delighted that this free app exists, and I just wish he'd write one to add iPhone graphics to iPhone screenshots because the shortcut I used to use broke in a recent iOS update. Hey, Allison. Ryan here. You sometimes see me in the chat as Dopey One. I keep hearing all these great reviews of new Apple hardware that you or one of your listeners has purchased, and I have to admit, sometimes I get a little envious. Today, I want to talk about a purchase that I made for a piece of Apple kit and what I do with it. Let's start with the problem, or in this case, problems to be solved. Problem one, I enjoy listening to audiobooks, and over the years, I've collected quite a few. I actually started my collection when it was called Books on Tape. The issue there is I have all these tapes, but tape players are really kind of hard to come by these days. Problem two, my family and my wife's family have purchased video cameras that were made by Sony or Canon in the uh, 8mm format. My dad also purchased a newer version of the 8mm camera that was called Hi8, which basically had better video and audio. Also, my wife and I were married. I purchased a Sony Digital 8 camera. Now, this camera actually had an onboard video converter, that uh, also had a FireWire port. You probably wouldn't believe it, but when I purchased that camera, it was over $600 at the time. I went ahead, jumped on the web, and uh, converted that amount, and in today's money, that camera would be well over $1,000. I can't believe I actually paid that much money for that camera. Anyway, let's get out of the weeds and talk about these two problems. I would like to convert my books on tape and books on CD into digital format. 
I would also like to convert all of the family's 8mm, high 8 and digital 8 tapes to digital format. Luckily for me, that digital 8 camera that I purchased that has that firewire connector on it, it can play those old 8mm, high 8 and the newer digital 8 tapes, so I'm good there. These projects actually started with me uh, using the family uh, 2010 iMac running Mac OS 10.7, which was uh, Lion. It worked okay, but I had issues with iMovie that caused longer playing videos not to sync up correctly with the voice and video, as well as the iMovie output file was some sort of strange QuickTime format that other non-Apple video editing softwares, they really didn't like the format and uh, wouldn't import it correctly. The other issue I had was that someone would inevitably need to use the computer when I was trying to use Audacity to record those long-playing audio tapes. Years went by without any progress on those uh, tapes. But I happened to be at a junior high school that was liquidating some old items in a yard sale. On one of those tables, what did I see but an old iMac G5 running Jaguar. That's Mac OS 10.2 for those of you who uh, find it easier to keep track of the numbers rather than the names. Believe it or not, it even had a working keyboard and they only wanted a small pittance for it. It did, however, have a note on it that said that the mouse was missing and darn it, that hard drive really didn't sound very good. I purchased the iMac, went to my friends, MacSales.com and purchased a two gigabyte memory upgrade kit, a two terabyte hard drive and a refurbished mouse which they don't appear to have on their website anymore. Using the videos on Mac Sales website and YouTube videos, I replaced the failing hard drive, which I found out later had many, many, did I say many? Many bad sectors. And uh, upgraded the RAM to the maximum two gigabytes. Now I needed an operating system. Well, I jumped online and found someone selling the install CDs for Mac OS X 10.5 Leopard. I also found old copies of Microsoft Office for Power Mac and Toast, that CD-burning software. So I had to buy all three of them. You know, the funny thing was, I don't think I even spent $40 for all that software. Now, with the freshly upgraded iMac PowerPC G5 running the latest possible version of Mac OS X, software version 10.5 Leopard, I jumped online and downloaded Audacity for PowerPC. I also splurged and purchased a new, well, new to me, Yamaha dual tape deck that only one of the two tapes actually worked. But it was only $15 with shipping, so I really couldn't pass it up. After purchasing the correct RCA to 8th inch cable for the audio and the correct FireWire B to mini FireWire cable for the video recorder, I was off and recording. Would you believe it? iMovie worked perfectly on that uh, G5 iMac. That stupid QuickTime file format also wasn't used. And Audacity, it works like a dream with that uh, $15 eBay tape player. The little iMac can just sit and run undisturbed because no one in the house wants to use such an old piece of antiquated kit. Up to now, I've used this setup to convert stacks and stacks of 8mm, high 8 and digital 8 videotapes and countless audio tapes. The fun thing is, in my area, I've found that over the years, the local library and schools have sell off the old books on tape for like 25 cents or even less on the last day of the sale. Anyway, 
That's my review of one of my Apple purchases. The iMac G5 upgraded to 2 gigs of RAM, a 2 terabyte hard drive, running Mac OS X 10.5. Have a great day, and don't be too quick to get rid of that perfectly good, yet old, Apple kit. Ryan, that was fantastic. I, I, I love your delivery. I love your story. I love everything you were trying to do. And I love that you resurrected this old machine. That is, that is so cool. And plus, you did it for so little money. You know, um, just recently, a friend of Steve and mine ended up with a, uh, an older iMac. I don't think it wasn't as, as old as the uh, G5, certainly. Um, but the guy didn't know how to use a Mac or anything, and it had a, some dead parts and everything. And and Steve helped him get an operating system up on it, and it was a lot of fun. So yeah, resurrecting old gear is is a really really cool project, and uh, I think that was awesome. I really really like it. Thanks a lot for sending that in. One of the darlings of the Mac community is Text Expander from Smile. I think it's probably the number two highest app on my priority list of apps to install right after 1Password. If you haven't used Text Expander, the basic idea is that it allows you to type short abbreviations that trigger longer snippets of text to be spit out on screen. It does a lot more than that, but that's kind of the fundamental utility it provides. Personally, I wouldn't use a Mac without it, but I have found a super nerdy substitute for the basic utility of Text Expander. It's a free and open source project by Federico Tirzi on, uh, that he's put up on GitHub. It's called Espanzo. When I say nerdy, I mean it. Tighten your propeller beanies, kids. Espanzo is available from espanzo.org for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Installation of Espanzo is slightly different on the three platforms, of course, but I'll be talking about this from a Mac perspective. The documentation on installation and configuration is very good on the Espanzo website, so I'm sure if you're a Linux or Windows girl, you won't have any trouble figuring it out. I'm not going to go through the sequence of commands line by line because the Espanzo instructions to do it are just beautiful, but I'll describe the process of installation and use, uh, and use of Espanzo to get you kind of excited about the tool. We've talked a few times on the NoSilicast about using package managers to install nerdy stuff on the Mac using the terminal. We usually talk about using Homebrew from Homebrew, or it's actually from brew.sh. Espanzo for Mac is installed using Homebrew. If you haven't used Homebrew before, it's crazy easy, if a bit nerdy. Once you follow the one-line instruction to install Homebrew itself from the terminal, from then on you simply type brew space install followed by the name of the software you want to install. For some apps, like Espanzo, you do have to add a tap to Homebrew. Lindsay will like that analogy there. So you add a tap to Homebrew before you can install the app you need. Adding a tap just means to add more repositories for Homebrew to look in to find the tool you want. To install Espanzo, you type in two separate commands in the terminal to add the tap and then install Espanzo. As with Text Expander, Espanzo also requires you to enable accessibility access in system preferences and then you're ready to play with Espanzo. The instructions are so detailed on the espanzo.org website that Federico even spoon-feeds you the accessibility settings you need to enable on macOS. Once Espanzo is installed, it will show up as a menu bar icon. 99% of what you'll do configuring Espanzo will be done from the terminal, so the menu bar app doesn't really do a whole lot. But what it does do is super important, and we'll get to that in a bit. In order for Espanzo to know what snippets of text you'd like to expand, you have to provide a file with those expansions. 
Espancer does this with a configuration file in the YAML format. That's Y-A-M-L. For people who like to know acronyms, YAML is a recursive acronym that stands for YAML Ain't Markup Language, and it's simply a specific way to format text. YAML has rules about what indents mean and what quotes mean and how to write comments. The Espanzo instructions give you an example configuration file to follow, and as long as you follow that format, you're going to have no trouble with it at all. The default configuration file is buried deep in your user preferences library. I'm sorry, in your library preferences directory. So slash user, slash user, slash library, slash preferences. And that's kind of a pain to remember every time you need to edit the file. But if you're happy on the command line, and you probably aren't still listening if you aren't, you don't have to remember where that configuration file lives. Simply type esponso edit at the command line, and the configuration file will open in the default editor for your operating system. So nano for Unix-based systems like macOS and Linux, or notepad if you're in Windows. When you save the configuration file, Espanzo will restart itself automatically. The syntax of the configuration file for Espanzo is pretty simple. Comments are made using the hash symbol, or you could call it number symbol, octothorpe symbol, whatever you like to call that little uh, that little hash symbol. And making comments is a good way to help you organize your text expansions. In Espanzo, these expanded pieces of text are called matches, and matches are generated using a trigger. If you want a match of, say, hi there, to be triggered by colon Espanzo, you would write it just like this. You'd write indent, dash trigger colon quote colon espanzo unquote and then you write replace on the next line with hi there in quotes the formats in the show notes but you basically have to really obey those indents and you got to have it say dash trigger and it's got to say replace and it's got to have colons after it but like i said once you see one you know what they have to look like it's really easy In the example I just gave the default trigger symbol suggested by Federico is a colon before the match but he points out that on macOS, this can conflict with macOS's keyboard shortcuts, so you could get replicated expansions. He suggests using a backslash before your match instead if you use keyboard shortcuts on your Mac and on iOS. In the example file, they include the simple text replacement I just described, and also two examples that are a bit more complicated, and they show off the advanced power of Espanso. I am not going to try to read those out loud to you, because that one was hard enough and that was the simple one. The examples demonstrate how you can automatically have, say, today's date entered with a trigger and even issue shell commands from a trigger in Espanzo. Now, if you're a big old nerd, you can edit this configuration file using your favorite command line editor, like I said, Nano or Pico or another editor, or you can open the file from the finder using a GUI editor like Hot Editor or Atom, or heck, you could even use TextEdit if you like. I created a couple of matches myself for my name and my signature, and the only tricky bit was learning to use slash n to create a new line in my signature, and I was good to go. The community has created packages that can be installed into Espanzo to extend its library of matches. Installing a package is super simple. For example, if you'd like to install the basic emoji package, use the command, again, at at the command line, Espanzo install basic dash emojis. Super simple. Now, Espanso has a hub where you can find packages to fit your needs at hub.espanso.org. They've got useful packages like Excel formulas, math symbols, and medical documentation, but even one to generate random dad jokes. Who's not going to love that? 
There's even a package for BART's favorite command line weather tool, WTTR. Click on a package in the hub and it will display the matches you get in this particular package. Note that all packages do have to be hosted on GitHub to be allowed to be used with Espanzo. Now that means if you like one, but you want to modify it, you can fork it and make it your own. I installed the package for Mac symbols like command, control, escape, and the rest of them, and now I can easily type them with a quick keystroke. Now one thing that baffled me for a long time was how to see into the packages I had installed. They didn't show up in the default config file, and they're not in the user directory in that same folder. I could list them with a spanzo space package space list, and it would tell me what ones I had installed, but where were they located on my drive? Without knowing where they were, I couldn't easily jump in and see what matches were available to me with a particular package. Sure, I could go to espanzo.org to find the link to the hub, to find the link to the package, to find the link to the documentation, but I wanted to be able to do this locally. It seemed like I should be able to look at that file and see what's in it. The documentation on packages gave me no clues. Now, I did later on figure out that the answer to my question is on the main page of doing installation and the, the initialization of Espanzo, but I didn't look there because I had already learned all that. I was busy looking at packages, and that's where I thought I would find it. In the end, I found it on the answer on the Espanzo subreddit, and I found someone asking the same question I had. In Terminal, if you enter Espanso space path, it will reveal the location of the configuration file we've been talking about, along with the location of the packages you have installed, which is in a different place, and the configuration data you have for Espanso. The packages live, by the way, in your user library inside Preferences Application Support. Once I knew where the packages were, I could open their YAML configuration files and see what they included, and even modify them if I liked. One of the main reasons I wanted to do this was that the all emojis package that I'd installed using the hub wasn't finding all of the uh, all of the expansions, and I wanted to figure out why. The match for 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 example colon neckbeard colon was uh, it was shown on the documentation page in the Espanzo hub, but it wasn't doing a darn thing when I typed colon neckbeard colon. Once I found the config file, I was able to search for neckbeard and confirm it wasn't in that config file, so they're missing some. I did feel better knowing that it wasn't just me doing something dumb, and guess what else? I can add the neckbeard emoji into the package and make it work if I want to. Now, there are times that you have an application where you want to have very specific matches, and Espanso provides a mechanism for that. You create an application-specific configuration file, and then in your main configuration file, you create a filter for that application. The syntax is simple and, as everything else, very well described in the documentation for Espanzo. Now, I've got more you could like about Espanzo. Have you ever been in a situation where Text Expander expands a snippet, but in that particular instance, that's not what you wanted? This happened to me the other day when I was trying to type 501 parenthesis C close parenthesis. And the C, in, uh, the C in parentheses kept changing to a copyright symbol. Now, I'm not sure it was Text Expander, maybe someone else was doing that, but it's really hard to get it to stop when this happens. You have to sneak up on it by typing the second half of what you want using the arrow keys to get to the front of it and then typing in the beginning bit. With Espanso, though, simply hitting backspace after Espanso triggers a match reverses the match and puts back the type trigger text. I love this feature. I discovered it on my own when I instinctively hit backspace after a match expanded that I didn't want, and it fixed it. 
Now, if you know ahead of time that you want to type something that will trigger a match in Espanzo and you don't want it to expand, simply double press the Option key to temporarily disable Espanzo. Double tap it again to re-enable Espanzo. You'll even get a nice little notification from Espanzo telling you that you've disabled and re-enabled it. I really wish Text Expander had this feature to disable and re-enable Text Expander. Remember I explained that Espanzo had a very limited menu bar app? One of its primary features is to turn from a bold lowercase e to a grayed out e when it's disabled. You can tell at a glance if Espanzo is disabled that way. If you make an edit to your configuration file from a GUI text editor, you can also use the menu bar app to reload the configuration file. Of course, you know, if you're editing from the command line anyway, you would just type Espanzo space restart. Espanzo very politely disables itself and notifies you of such when your browser has a password field open. This is caused by the macOS security feature known as Secure Input. It's quick and elegant the way Espanzo does it, and remember, you can glance at that menu bar to be sure Espanzo is covering its eyes while you type in your private data. As a result, Espanzo will not work in those situations, and Espanzo will trigger a notification, as well as logging it, to warn the user if an app triggers secure input. Now, in my limited experience with Espanzo, it seemed to re-enable itself more consistently than Text Expander does. When Text Expander gets confused about secure input, you can sometimes shut down every single application, and Text Expander still won't re-enable itself. The only thing I know to do is actually reboot the Mac. Like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with Espanzo, but Text Expander got confused just this week while Espanzo, in the same circumstance, was fine. One of the things that nerds will appreciate about Espanzo is your ability to modify the application's behavior to your heart's content. Don't like getting notifications? Disable them from the command line. Like notifications, but don't want to see just the secure input notification? You can disable just that one. Don't like using the Alt key to temporarily disable Espanzo? you can change it to a different key. If you don't like having the menu bar icon, you can disable it in your configuration file with show underscore icon colon false. The bottom line is I think Espanzo is a delightful contribution to the community and especially fun if you're of the nerdy persuasion. If you've always wanted to do something nerdy, this is a pretty easy way to get your feet wet. The instructions on the Espanzo site are very clear and if you don't understand a particular option, just skip it. I skipped a lot of the options they described, and I just used the ones that made sense to me. Espanso is also great if you've got limited funds and can't afford to pay for a text expander. I don't want you to get me wrong in my, uh, in my endorsement of text expander. It is still going to be my number two most important app. But guess what? I can have text expander and Espanso on my system, and I can enjoy the best of both worlds. Check it out at espanso.org. And if you like it, you know what else? Give the developer a tip. This show doesn't have any ads because it's entirely supported by the generous pledges of listeners through Patreon. These lovely people pledge a dollar or more a week because they learn a lot or are entertained by the NoSillaCast or Chit Chat Across the Pond or both. If you'd like to be lovely too, head over to podfeed.com slash Patreon and show your support for the fine work we do at the Podfeed Podcast. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Shots. But we don't have a lot of security news to talk about this week, right, Bart? I, I don't know what's going on. Have I just lost the ability to read or something? But 
Or maybe something else captured the world's attention this week. <laughs> maybe it is just that simple that everyone was too preoccupied with uh, Pennsylvania to notice other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> they were too busy. Huh? Yeah, no, actually, I was listening to a podcast today about history and I was like, this will completely distract me. I'll be listening about something from hundreds of years ago. And the very, 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 very first ever US election all centred on... One of the few states in the nation where they had a popular vote for their electors, it was Pennsylvania. (laughs) It's inescapable. But we will allow you to escape that topic here. And uh, since we have a little bit of extra time, Mm -hmm. I wanted to get Bart's uh, feedback. Bart just got his iPhone 12 Pro. And uh, I'm just guessing you might enjoy having a little bit of a chit chat about uh, your opinions on that. Yeah, so... I usually am the kind of person who keeps his iPhone for a couple of years. For a while, I was on a three-year cycle, and then I got back in a two-year cycle. But I think COVID killed my iPhone 11 Pro because I was wiping it down with disinfectant wipes, and it went nuts. Like its brain is broken. It, 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 it's just gone completely potty. And we did a factory reset because I thought I might, maybe it was just that I hadn't reset it or something. And so we did a full factory reset and it's still completely insane. So very unlike me, I actually upgraded to the 12. And I also, last year when the green came out, I bought the green because it wasn't silver or one of the normal colors. But I mm-hmm. always said I wanted blue. And then Apple went and made a blue <laughs> phone. And I <laughs> Didn't I just talk a couple of weeks ago about how the most important thing in a in a device is whether it changes color and then I'll want to buy it? Because like my red watch is way cooler. It is way cooler. Even though it's only incrementally cooler than the other yeah. one. Well, it's the change in physical design is actually really, really noticeable. Like, and I don't know how many millimeters the screen is different, but the screen feels amazing. And it's not like the iPhone. It is bigger. It is a bigger screen. And it's probably only yeah, a I millimeter or two. First like, day, but it, there's something about the fact that it is so edge to edge. Like it is. I don't know. I mean, there must be a bezel of a millimeter or something. But it is amazingly edge to edge, and it is such a high quality screen. It and with those straight edges, it just feels so simultaneously like a classic because it really is the iPhone 5 design and very futuristic. It, I, it just, it feels... Ex- How do you like the sharp edges? Are, are you going caseless or did you put a case oh, on Oh, caseless, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I believe you shattered both sides of your old phone too. I did, yes, because I dropped it twice in the week leading up to the keynote, as if the fact that it had gone nuts wasn't enough of a hint from the universe <laughs> that I needed a new phone. Um, I did manage to drop it twice within a week. So yeah, that was, that was good on me. I'm hoping this time. I wore, I used it for two days caseless. I bought a Mm. case and I used it for two days caseless. And I, I found that in the house, I really enjoyed it. But when I was outside, I walked my dog all the time, right? Tessa gets a walk and I'm often pulling my phone out to do something. And then she pulls on the leash (laughs) and I just could picture not if I shattered it, no big deal. I've got Apple care. I'm fine. It's that if I scarred it up. I'd be sad. Yeah. Even though I'm not ever going to see those beautiful shiny edges because I'm going to have a case on, knowing that it was scarred up would upset me. Yeah, I'd like to have pristine phones because I'm used to handing them down. This will be the first time ever that my iPhone is not going to be handed down. It's just going to be recycled. It's it, it's dead. 
It's never happened before. I've always handed my phones down. Well, but you do have Apple Care on it, right? I do. Um, but it, yeah, at the moment it's sitting in a press and I'm deciding whether... When the process of buying a house, so at the moment, anything that involves spending so much as a penny gets looked at twice. Um, right, but this should be free. Uh, it's never free on Apple Care, right? If you bust both uh, screens, isn't there? A, without Apple Care, it's like hundreds of dollars, and with Apple Care, it's like seventy nine dollars or something. Yeah, well, there. Yeah, for the screen, but you could say make it operational. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I don't know. My That's memory of, of Apple yeah. Care is that they insist on fixing everything or nothing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, well, don't let it don't let it go past when it's due anyway. It has another whole year of Apple Care because I bought the the 2 years and Oh, good. Yeah, because I intend to keep my phones for years, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. But that would be a great phone for Wing if you do it, so you could. Yeah, cuz he's still using my iPhone 10 it must be. Oh, wow. Yeah, actually no, it is my yeah. iPhone 10, yeah, because that's what came after. Yeah, it was my 10 and then the 11 Pro and now the 12 Pro. And right. that's in better condition than my 11 Pro, which is ridiculous. That's <laughs> not how it's supposed to work. Um, so let's, let's talk about the, uh, the most important thing to you, the camera. What do you think? The little bit I've got to use it, I'll, it, it it's just what I'm used to, but a little bit faster, a little bit better. It's just an incremental improvement. Unfortunately, I managed to do myself an injury, so I can't really walk at the moment. And 90% of my photography is when I'm out walking. Uh, mm. And at the moment, my orders from the doctor are to walk until my pain hits 3 out of 10 and then stop. And I really <laughs> haven't been getting very far. And it, <laughs> You make it to the end of the block and back? The first few days it was literally was, yeah. And she actually wow. said to me, look, if that means 100 metres, it means 100 metres. Now, thankfully, today I got a little bit, I got quite a bit further, but I have to walk so carefully because if the if the surface is in any way uneven, I am in so much danger of doing myself serious pain. So wow. I'm walking like a ninety year old, and the I I'll be honest, I'm just trying not to hurt myself, and I'm not I'm not been very photographic. So not, since the phone has arrived, down and squatting to take pictures of little flowers or anything, yeah, because right? the phone arrived last Saturday, and I injured myself three hours later, so. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I'm surprised to hear you say it, it will be interesting as you use, you use it more because I'm finding the HDR on it is is stunning. Um, a little bit too HDRE, if you will. Interesting. Uh, so I've got it. I often have to dial it back. I was I was really mad. I was taking all these great pictures in uh, Zion, which is a yeah. spectacular place to take photographs. But I was noticing that there was a, a yellow tinge to it. And I took pictures. I, had, I brought my 11 Pro with me so I could do some comparisons. And they didn't look that way in the 11 Pro. And I was like, well, that's really weird. Why has it got this terrible color? I mean, dramatically, like a sunset wasn't red. It was orange and, you know, green trees were yellow. And I was looking huh. at that. And finally, like four days into the trip, I, I noticed on the camera the little three color icon where oh. it's the three circles that are kind Filters. of over it, somehow vivid had gotten turned on. Oh. And so I turned it off and it went boom and everything looked great. So I've, I've been able to color correct the ones that I did, yeah. but it was, I was kind of disappointed in the camera when I saw that. Oh, Interesting. Man. Yeah, no, what I have definitely noticed is that when they were saying that they were using the LiDAR to autofocus quicker, they weren't joking. The, this thing snaps mm. to focus impressively. No, I, 
I've they implied or I inferred that that autofocus with LiDAR is only in low light. But it seems, does it seem to you like it's happening in, in daylight too? Okay, I don't know if they're using LiDAR or whether it's just that the the the, the image it's processing so is so good that the contrast-based autofocus is now way faster. I don't know how they're doing it, but that is what I have noticed in my limited experience, that autofocus is just snappier. I tap on the thing I want to be sharp, and it is sharp. Oh, so you don't see that, like, bounce in and out yeah, for a second exactly. while it's going, I don't know what you mean. Oh, this. Yeah, I mean, it might be bouncing, but if it is, it's doing it so quickly, I'm not noticing, so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I did um, a few photos in uh, Zion where that were a challenge for, from an HDR perspective that came out really cool. Um, we were hiking in this one area, and there was a, a lot of uh, erosion from water in the rocks. And so there was a hole through this rock and I got a picture of Tesla on the other side of it where she is perfectly exposed and yet the foreground is exposed differently. You know, nice. they're both exposed, yeah. but it one, one should have blown out the other and it looked fantastic. I got a shot of Suzanne on the edge of a cliff with the, with the rock arch in the foreground and they're both exposed. Came out really, really neat. So I, I've been enjoying the HDR. Excellent. Well, I haven't had an opportunity. Strangely, it's been good weather this week. It's weird. <laughs> What's up with that? Property. It rained and hailed here, so oh, you got ours for the universe. <laughs> so yeah, basically, the way I would see it is sort of to summarize it: if you have an iPhone 11 Pro, it's the same, only a little bit better. And if you have an older phone, it is an amazing upgrade. And I don't care about 5G. <laughs> right, right. That's the don't least talk about of the phone. that. The um, I have noticed something. Uh, we set up, um, I went into the camera video settings and set it to 60 frames per second, 4K, so that I, you know, a, f- a five second video is 2,800 gigabytes. Yeah, use up the space, <laughs> right? Right, right. Might as well. I paid for space I don't need. Um, I noticed something really interesting, though, is I downloaded the video locally and I wanted to dumb the video down. Right. right? I wanted to bring it down to like, it was a stupid little video and I wanted to send it at like 480p. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't export it from uh, from preview as anything. Like all of the options were grayed out. 1080p and everything were all grayed out. I forget what app I ended up using. I ended up using, uh, oh, I think I went into iMovie and imported it. It was the only way I could export it as a smaller wow. version. So I'm not quite sure what's up with that. I'm, I'm hoping that's operator trouble, but um, huh. I don't know. But man, those files are big. <laughs> but the HDR in video, the the uh, what is it, Dolby Vision uh, HDR video is astonishing. Yeah. So that that's kind of fun. I just sent you the photo of uh, of Suzanne behind the archway that shows the uh, the HDR at work. That is stunning. Like that is so. You you have like I used to do a lot of manual HDRs, so I know what's hard to HDR. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing in the world worse than a solid blue sky to try HDR. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Because it will... That's just going to be white? No, it'll ghost. It'll it, 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 Because HDR is adjusting the exposure on different parts of the image differently, it won't stay looking like a sky. You'll end up with a dark patch in the middle and... It, oh. Now, I mean, if you get really pernickety about it, it's a little bit white near the top of the mountain and darker up above, but... 
to get it even vaguely that good manually stacking your own images is really hard. That is genuinely impressive. Like, genuinely impressive. Also, really good job on the composition. That is such a cool photo. (laughs) Thanks. I just sent you the one of Tesla behind the rock. So Tesla's out of focus and the foreground is in focus, which I think is kind of a cool effect. Yeah. And it is blown out around her, but it's still, I think it came out really cool. That's just a fun photo. It's just a really fun photo. A lot of texture going. Yeah. Well, I'm glad and excited that you uh, you got the new phone, uh, even though maybe that wasn't spending that much money right now wasn't exactly what you were looking for. Really but I wanted in the high plans. Five. But look, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous phone, and it is definitely I prefer it to the 11 Pro. Like it is, it is a nicer phone physically, as well as yeah. just being yeah. faster with them, and the screen is like significantly nicer. It is a very pleasing device to use. So I have one last question. I was trying to figure out when when they first started allowing you to uh, download uh, to a new phone from a backup from iCloud versus plugging it in and getting it from a local backup or plugging the two devices in and having them talk to each other. I immediately assumed, well, I'm going to do it locally because that's going to be faster, but it isn't. So they even tell you now when you go to to take your info from your old phone, it says, so I can do it from iCloud in 15 minutes, but if you'd like to transfer from the other phone, you can have 45 minutes. Why on earth would it be faster going all the way up to the internet and back? Because I my theory on it is that on the... So on the... The, 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 the brains of the, of the iPhone and the inside, they have prioritized all of the buses on the motherboard for the wireless chips. The wireless chips get to send their data really quickly, whereas that lightning port at the bottom is primarily for audio and charge. I don't think there's a particularly powerful... I don't think there's a particularly fast bus to that lightning port. But it's got to be faster than the internet. I don't think that's true (laughs) anymore. I genuinely don't think that's true anymore. We are living in a world now, like this is something we come across in work a lot, that the slowest part is very often the spinning hard drive and that it is often quicker to download something from iCloud, or sorry, not from iCloud, from from OneDrive, than it is to copy it onto a drive and hand it to someone and copy it back. Like it is, we're getting to the stage where wireless or Ethernet is faster than to and from storage, which is astonishing. <laughs> I have a counter theory that I've been working okay. on. <clears throat> See if this makes sense. When you do the iCloud backup version, you can start using your phone in 15 minutes, but your apps aren't all there yet. That is also Over true. time, you watch them coming down. I wonder if when it does a phone-to-phone transfer, whether that might actually uh, transfer the, the uh, applications too. I... Ooh, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I believe it doesn't. I believe it takes it takes the apps from the from the cloud either way. Okay. Hey, if anybody did it the slow way, yeah, let us know. <laughs> I'd like I, to I, know the I haven't in ye- It's been years since I've done it the slow way. Whenever Apple started to support getting your health data through the cloud, that was the last time I plugged a yeah. wire into the bottom of my iPhone. Which is also the reason I will never do a clean install on my iPhone. Because you don't get your health data. Yeah, I'll be darned. So I'm going to be dragging that. every bit of cruff forever. Because I'm, I'm at, uh, I'm past ten thousand miles that I've walked. Oh, cool! So I've gone across the United States twice now. I think 
<laughs> that is actually kind of cool. I'm hoping to walk to Europe soon. Yeah. Huh. That's fun. But yeah, I, yeah. I actually think that Apple just don't prioritize data transfer through that port because that's such an edge case now whereas they absolutely give the wireless chips amazing access to the cpu and stuff so i just think the buses on that phone are set up to give wireless priority interesting very interesting all right well we had our fun we should probably talk security we don't have uh like i said we don't have a lot to talk about but let's dig in a little bit yeah so before we get into sort of more you know newsy stuff just a few follow-ups of long-running things um COVID-wise, so for a long time, the, the, the big picture arc was the battle, oh, will we or won't we use the Google Apple API? And then thankfully, re, you know, reality set in and slowly and somewhat reluctantly, everyone settled into Apple's API. And then little by little, different countries, particularly in Europe, began to release their apps. Well, the whole something that's been going on in the background here in Europe a lot is the idea that, well, once we've all settled on Google, Apple API, the whole point was to make them interoperable. That's one of the advantages of having the official API. So we're now getting to the next phase where the national apps here in Europe are beginning to, to work cross border. So Ireland is now federated with three countries as of last week and more to come in the next week or two. So the release notes in the last version of our app said that it was was it Austria, Italy, and something else. So we have that federation working, and it said it explicitly in the release notes there will be more countries to follow shortly. And I believe in the states, um, there's that same federation coming in between the states that are using Apple and Google's API, with Microsoft actually providing a unified backend for that to work out, which we talked about a few months ago. So that's kind of nice that we're now getting to phase two of this, where it's now apps backends talking to each other so that as you cross from state to state or from country to country in Europe, um, you're still being protected by the app. So that's I, I just think that's a nice development to see that. Coming true. Yeah, that is cool. You haven't seen any notifications, I take it? No, because I'm living like a hermit. <laughs> okay, good plan. Good yes, plan. That is definitely my plan as long as I can get away with it. Um, another piece of follow up then is one of the nice announcements at WWDC was that uh, Apple were going to make developers produce what they're describing as new privacy nutrition labels. Um, so we're used to this idea that if you buy food these days, it will tell you, you know, it's got so many calories, it's got so much salt, it's got so much fat, et cetera, et cetera. And Apple sort of wanted you to be able to look at a glance to see what information an app is using so that you can um, make educated decisions about your privacy based on an app. And I mean, it's probably going to take some time to come fully to fruition, but at least from December 8th, developers, that's the deadline for developers to start using this new system. So we're going to actually get to see this for real in our app store shortly after that. Um, And so we'll see how closely reality and theory line up. I'm, I'm very curious to see these in action. I wanted to dig into this a little bit on uh, the Daily Tech News show. Chris Ashley of the SMR podcast was on with Tom and, and Sarah. And Chris was saying that he didn't really think that there would be any value to this because right. he said that the people are just going to click past it and they aren't going to understand it and they aren't going to do anything about it. And Tom said, well, then there's the flip side of the people who are going, oh my God, this this application wants my contacts. And it's a contact application, you know, so you, you'd get these two kinds of people. But my theory is that they're, it's like nutrition labels. Yeah. 
If you don't care about your diet and you don't want to know, you are not going to look at the thing that tells you the number of calories or how many triglycerides are in something. I happen to be one of the people who does want to know that. And I'll never forget being in the grocery store and somebody had the little, little smoky links or these little sausages. They're about an inch long. And they had samples and I ate one. I was like, oh my God, these are so good. And I grabbed a pack and I got up to the line in the grocery store. And while I was waiting, I read the nutritional information and I screamed and threw them back. I was going <laughs> to say, like, why do they taste are... so good? Because they were full of salt, <laughs> fat. Uh... Yeah, it was salt, fat, and triglycerides were the top three Gosh. ingredients, I think. You know, So if you don't want to know, fine. don't look at it. And yeah, that's fine. But you can't say... You know, we're always complaining that people don't realize that they're paying for their their privacy with their or paying for the services with their own privacy. If you don't show it to them, you don't even give them the opportunity to learn that. Then they're not going to. Yeah. So I sort of think, well, people who don't care don't care. Fine, but plenty of people do care and are lacking the tools. So or may begin to care. They might do. Like didn't know they should care. Yeah. So to, to me, it can only be a good thing. And it's, I don't imagine this is going to suddenly change the universe and that we're going to move from a world where privacy is, is not a high priority to a world where everyone is instantly a privacy advocate. But it can mm-hmm. only be a good thing. It cannot do any harm. And I know I will be using it to make decisions between apps because if you have four choices and they're all the same price... Well, then why wouldn't you compare the labels? Or maybe one costs $10 and one costs nothing. And you're wondering and you go, why? Hmm, why would that be? <laughs> you take a look at yeah. those. Um, the, I hope we can see those privacy labels before we buy the Oh, yes. The yes no, that's the whole point of them. These okay. aren't permissions. These are labels. Okay. So like oh, okay. you're in the supermarket, okay, right? So you're going to be in, these are in the app store, not in running the app. So this is completely different to those pop-ups that say, this app would like to use your blah, 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 allow or deny. Okay. This is as you're browsing okay, in the store. So as you as you look at an app's entry, you have the screenshots, you have the description of whether or not it has in-app purchases, and you're going to have this labeling of what this app accesses in terms of your personal data. Okay, good, good. Well, there's a third thing that this can do, and that is that security researchers can look at this stuff quickly and learn from it and do more in-depth analysis and tell us what it means. Yeah. I mean, what was the feature that was recently enabled that was, was it clipboard access or something? Yes. And there were apps that were just doing it constantly? Yeah. Well, none of us would have known about that if that hadn't been exposed by Apple. So having this exposed and having people who do understand, I mean, you know, I'm not going to understand all the different implications of what this data says, but I'm going to be able to listen to people who do explain it to me. Like you. Yeah, but so, to be honest, it's good. There, there's a, I'll give you the link for the show notes. There's a nice mock-up on The Verge, and it basically says, data used to track you, and it has nice friendly icons, contact info, location, identifiers. Data linked to you, financial information, location, purchases, browsing history. That's pretty huh. darn straightforward, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, throw that in Telegram if yeah, you have that, that handy yeah. so we for, don't forget because later people will come yell at me and say, why didn't you give us that? You said you were going to. There we go. Okay, good. Well, I, I just wanted to, I was yelling at the podcatcher as uh, Tom and uh, Chris were discussing this, so I wanted a chance to, to have that conversation too. Yeah, it's, 
to me, it's like empower the people who want the power. And if people don't want the power, fine. I don't care. Sure. You know, I read, I, yeah. I, I, I actively decide between foods in the supermarket based on nutrition labels. Lots of people don't. Yeah. I don't care. I want the ability and I have the ability thanks to European law. So I'm delighted. I, I care about this stuff. So I will read these labels in the app store. If you don't, no skin off my nose, but I want the labels. I was really mad when uh, they used to have nutrition labels uh, here in restaurants. They would tell you calories. And I made informed decisions as a result, and yeah. they got rid of it. Oh, that's extremely disappointing. I was really mad because apparently people didn't want to know that there is nothing under 1,000 calories in, uh, at the Cheesecake Factory, except for uh, raw tuna. <laughs> it was quite good. I ordered it yeah. because I didn't want to eat that much. It's... it's- yeah, I, I I genuinely make my decisions based on that, and there are times where I there were only two choices for takeout, and one of them didn't have nutrition labels at all, and the other one was McDonald's, and I was like, well, McDonald's is a bit boring, but on the other hand, I can tell you exactly how many calories are in what, and therefore I'll have a breakfast roll. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I'm a huge fan. Huge fan. So yeah, I, I'm all in favor of this, and I can't wait for these to roll out for real. Good. Uh, and then what else have we got? Uh, oh, yeah. WhatsApp has a new feature where if uh, assuming everyone taking part in the conversation agrees, you can now have automatically disappearing messages in WhatsApp. OK, so kind of like what they do in uh, Telegram. Yeah. Now where you can open a private chat and have them expire. Yes, but it, it's a little bit less controllable. It, 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 it Basically, it's on or off and it's seven days or infinity. Oh, OK. Yeah, Telegram lets you say five seconds if you want. You had far too much fun with that when that feature first came out. I was getting these messages that were <laughs> self-destructing in ridiculously short amounts of time. Uh-huh. Before you could look at like, it. Oh, Alison said something. Yay! <laughs> Gone. Yeah, pretty much. So it, WhatsApp is doing it a little bit better. Sweet. Well, I'm not sure it's better or worse. They're, they're, they're starting simple. It, it's, it's a seven-day lifetime, which is, doesn't okay. seem unreasonable. Um, no deep dives at all this month. Nothing particularly exciting. Although I guess we can say the privacy labels got deep diven, deep doven, deep dived. Mm-hmm. Uh, action alerts. Then uh, there is a Chrome zero day on Android. So if you're running Android, you need to make sure that you're running an appropriate version. Details in the Naked Security article linked in the show notes. Um, Apple have updated pretty much everything. So if you have an Apple device, let it do its software update. It is a mix of features and security fixes in those updates. And I believe it was uh, zero-day exploits on Apple also, on iOS. Uh, that was my understanding. I am not going to say that is not true, um, but that did not cross my radar. But I, to be honest, I don't okay. really look all that deeply because as far as I'm concerned, if there's updates to iOS, they need to be applied. Okay, it was on uh, macOS Ken, he said it was, and he seems to know what he's talking about about those he, things. So. He has never steered me wrong, actually, probably because he also does a security podcast. Exactly. I think he has upped his game in this topic as well. Yeah, it's it's one of the things he covers very well, actually. Um, and I think it's related, because I think it's a very positive story. Um, iOS 14 has overtaken iOS 13 as the most installed version of iOS. And hmm, that-, that seemed to have taken a while. Well, yes and no. Compare that to how Android goes, and that's spectacular. And the, I'm comparing it to other uh, iOS versions, though. Well, last year it was iOS 13. It didn't go quick at all. 
Well, yeah, there, it might have been because people were burned by iOS 13. And another way to look at it is, so iOS 14 has 46.4% and iOS 13 has 463 But the two most recent OSs have over 90%. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's still huge. That is still huge. That is extremely positive. So while I would love it to be the case that there was nobody on iOS 12, and in fact, nobody on iOS 13 at this stage, Apple is still doing a better job of getting, getting enough trust from users that they will update and making it painless enough that it's happening a lot. I think iOS 14 will, or 15 will do better. In terms of speed of update, I'm I'm convinced that is because iOS 13 was such a dumpster fire that 14 didn't take off faster. I yeah, I, quite I, a while I definitely agree with you. Because before iOS 13, people were getting faster, and then iOS 13 burned people, and it set them back. Yeah. I, I genuinely think it has set them back. Yeah. So fingers crossed they've learned their lesson. Uh, our friends at Adobe have released security updates for Acrobat and Reader. So uh, if you run those products, and I don't know why you would, but update, update, patch, patch, patch. Uh, notable security news then. I really was scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Um, but HP managed to do something which I think is spectacular. HP accidentally told Apple to revoke certificates they shouldn't have and broke their own printer drivers. Oh, Pat Dingler told me she was getting calls from all of her uh, people she supported saying my printer stopped working. Yep. Because of this. Yep. So initially everyone was blaming Apple and HP actually held up the hand. They went, no, no, it was us. We revoked the wrong certificate. Jeez. <laughs> so oh, I can see from your notes that it was the AirPrint driver. No, that that's got... the solution. So it was HP's oh. custom drivers. If you're foolish enough to install their crapware on your computer... Instead of just letting the Mac pick up the drivers from Apple, if you're foolish enough to install the HP, I, I call it, I mean, I would go so far as to call it almost malware. The HP custom drivers are fill your computer with rubbish. It can help with scanning sometimes. I'll give them that. I, okay, I haven't owned a HP occasions. scanner, so I will not comment, but I have owned HP okay. printers for years, and I never, ever, 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 ever. The CD is just, it's a coaster, right? It's for holding drinks. It is not for sticking into your computer. Um, and the actual instruction from HP was uninstall our driver and use the AirPrint driver that comes with your Mac. Wow. Wow. So, Hey, uh, back you up a yeah. little bit. Uh, according to ZDNet, Tom's Guide, and Ars Technica, they were zero-day exploits in 14.2 that were uh, updated. Good. Or fixed. Patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Yes, do it. I, I, I'm a member of a couple of uh, forums, uh, local user groups, and one of them is is fairly technical, and the other one is very definitely not. And the guy that leads it was explaining how to stop your phone from putting these updates on it. Oh, I had to step in and say, "Sweetie, yeah, they are trying to stop you. Don't you. want to learn how to. Yeah, do they it. are trying to stop you sticking your fingers in the power socket. Do not tell people how to remove the safeties to stop them sticking their fingers in the power socket." <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, then we end up in local US specific news, and it's a case of let's get the bad news out of the way before we get on to better stuff. So there's been a change in the regulations controlling what debt collectors can do. And basically, they're now going to be allowed to text you and harass you over social media, unless someone changes really? the regulations. 
So fingers crossed that might be a very temporary change. Uh, because this custom, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is such a mouthful to say, are responsible for setting out the guidelines of how harassing you can be when you're trying mm. to collect debts. And they've basically caved to the debt collecting industry uh, at the expense, mm. unfortunately, of, you know, there's kind of a pandemic going on. It's just a terrible Yeah, now's time. not the time to do this. This might not be the wrong answer. But right now? Exactly. It just stinks of this is not what, this is not, when I think consumer financial protection, I don't think harangue me on Facebook and by text message. Right. So anyway, that is, that is the not so good news. Better news, um, as well as the obvious media and world catching election, there were lots of ballot measures, right? That's how a lot of states in the United States work off ballot measures to do things. And those ballot measures can be on anything. Two of them were related to IT, to security and stuff. So in Portland, Maine, um, the, the vote passed to ban facial recognition in the city. Wow. And in Michigan, which I think is even more interesting, Proposition 2 passed, which means police need a warrant to search your digital devices. So basically, I've always said that your digital devices... If the Constitution had been written today, your digital devices would be treated the same as self-incrimination, right? They, they would be treated like an extension of yourself because they are such intimately personal devices. And effectively, that's kind of the thinking behind Prop 2. So it gives the good protection to your digital devices. So obviously, it's only a Michigan law, but it's interesting. And I believe the cliche is that the states are the lab of American democracy. So it's certainly an interesting experiment in Michigan. So we'll be curious to see how that, that works one sure, That one sure feels like, wait, what? They didn't already need that? I know. <laughs> Just, how, is that, how is that not like searching inside my car or searching? Well, I guess they don't need it in a car if they have yeah, reasonable. The, the, yeah, there are reasons for that. But. Basically, mm. there has been a, a strong erosion of the Fourth Amendment over the last couple of years. Um, through what I would argue are poor court decisions, but no one appointed me to the Mm. federal bench, so my opinion isn't particularly (laughs) valuable, uh, but I certainly wouldn't agree with those decisions. So it's nice to see, uh, and again, it's nice to see it passed by referendum, right? By, I mean, a a ballot measure is basically a referendum, so I thought it was interesting. Um, Cool. uh, Then, at that stage, we're pretty much out of news, but I do have two sort of suggested readings. Um... First one under the heading of Excellent Explainers is a fun, well, it's a well-written piece uh, from the Intego Mac Security blog, How Quantum Computing Will Affect Computer Security and Passwords. It's not earth-shattering, but it's it's an interesting discussion. Uh, Yeah, because when we talk about um, public and private key cryptography, part of it is that it takes too long to crack. Not that it can't be. Yeah, so... But if you've got quantum computing going on that speeds things up by orders of magnitude, that, that calculus can change, right? Exactly. Uh, but of course, it's a cat and mouse game, and as, as the mouse gets better, so does the cat. Um, so... And By the way, we've managed to mo- mix both of our palate cleansers into those two sentences. We have, actually, which is kind of good. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world and it's not nothing. It, it, it is both an important problem for computer scientists to consider and not catastrophic. Okay. 
Cool, uh, but interesting. But interesting. Yeah. So if you want to know a little more, as I completely tease our uh, palate cleansers, then it's definitely a nice <laughs> article over on the Intego Max Security blog. Uh, and then under the heading Interesting Insights, there was an article on Wired that got a lot of uh, sharing. Because frankly, I think it comes down to Facebook being dishonest. Shocking as that may sound. <laughs> so what happened? this is about Instagram. So you know this concept where you can have, you can use one service to log into another, right? So you link your account. So an example would be on GitHub, you can log in with your Facebook account or your Google account or whatever. So you can connect them so that you can log in with one from the other. And the advantage is you don't have 20 kabillion passwords. And if you link multiple accounts, then actually you have a lot more security. You have a lot more safety because if you get locked out of your Facebook account, you can still get into your GitHub using your other, your Google account, maybe or whatever. So there's advantages to linking more than one. And Instagram allows you to link multiple different, you know, allows you to link your Instagram account to multiple different authentication mechanisms like that. And they have a button next to unlink. Sorry. So if you link, there's a button to unlink. And the UI would make it appear that you can link and unlink your Instagram account from Facebook. But it doesn't actually do anything because you can unlink till the cows come home, but Instagram and Facebook are permanently and always linked, and that UI is just lying to you. It's implying that you have a control you do not have. Those two accounts are linked. Always. Once you link them, they are always. Even if you don't. They were linked before you linked them. Oh, jeez. So it would be better if they didn't put the button there implying that it did it. Yeah. So, I mean, the most the most generous interpretation of this is that from before they decided to unify their backends, it, this button did what it said it did. And it just hasn't been taken out with the UI. But that button is obsolete. Those backends are unified now. So there is no... That's pretty rude. ...disconnecting. Yeah, so it's just... I thought it was an interesting observation from Wired, and they were a bit like a dog with a bone, and they kept on hammering Facebook, and they eventually got Facebook vice presidents to admit that, yeah, no, that button doesn't do anything. Wow. Wow. Great. And I think that sets us up well. Now well, now we get to do palate cleansers. Yeah, I was just going to say, so Facebook ickiness is the perfect lead-in to palate cleansers, and you get credit for both of these. Well, I get credit for passing along them anyway. Um, so we uh, managed to mention public uh, key cryptography and the the whole private public key thing i've heard you explain it i've read articles about it and it during the time that it is being explained to me i can replicate the explanation and about 15 minutes later i I got no idea it doesn't make any sense to me i don't get it but one of the times that i have understood it and i'd be curious to see if like tomorrow i could do it again tom merritt has a fantastic show i've mentioned before called know a little more And he did one on public key cryptography. And he went through a couple of the classic examples that Bart has gone through, but he also talked about a way of thinking about it like a a padlock that has a left turn key and a right turn key. And he said this was not his analogy, but he he explained it with it. And and I think there's at least a 3% chance that I've retained the information. Steve and I listened to it on the car. We played it back a couple of times, like, what do you say? What do you say? And it's it's a really good learning this stuff from Tom and know a little more is really uh, I think is an excellent way. He's a, very good at explaining this stuff. So there's a link in the show notes. To I, that. I actually remember muttering almost out loud, actually, even though I was out walking when I saw the show come into my podcatcher. It, you know, I was like, no, a little more. Ooh, new show from Tom, Public Key Crypto. And I actually said out loud and got a funny look, brave. 
<laughs> and I listened to it and I'm like, no, well done. Yeah, that that was a brave topic exactly. to take on and you have excelled yourself, sir. Um, actually, I meant to Excellent. tweet that and I didn't. I should have tweeted out that because I, I, I was genuinely impressed because it's such a difficult topic. And yeah. he, he did it masterfully, as I have come to expect. And he does, they're short, too. That's the thing, is he mandated, he didn't spend an hour and a half explaining it. He spends, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes at most. Yeah, w- so, what really impresses me is the breadth of topics, because Section 230 is law, and Wi-Fi 5 is uber nerdy tech. And he has done Wi-Fi six. Wi-Fi six. I, I'm sure he's, well, there was something five recently. Anyway, Bluetooth five. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but whether he's doing, well, and he covered, he covered the laws about the gig economy before the vote yes. in California went into place. That was another one. Yeah, and like, um, yeah, it's just amazing to me the breadth of topics, and they're equally well explained. And there are usually things I think I know. And while I would argue I did know 80% of what I knew, I always know a little more. Always, always, <laughs> always, always. He did one on ARM, explaining ARM. And that I would say I didn't know 90% of that one. That one was, was really good. Uh, oh, he did 5G and Wi-Fi 6. There That's where you're getting the five. Yeah. yeah. The one about latency versus bandwidth. That one was fantastic. I, I I need to listen to that one three or four more times to completely get it, but it was fantastic. So anyway, Tom's head's going to get all swole up while he's walking his dog listening to this, so we better move along. Um, we mentioned cat and mouse <laughs> when we were talking about this. Alistair Jenks posted this fantastic tweet. Um, it's basically, it says Schrodinger's cat, and it's a photograph of a cat. Well, it's a photograph of a glass sliding door and there's a box on one side, on your side of the door, and there's no cat in it. But in the reflection, there's a cat. there is a cat in the photo. And uh, let's not explain how it worked. Uh, we, we understand uh, optics and refraction enough to be able to explain how this works, but we'll let people just enjoy this photo that I, I would bet a lot of money is not doctored, that it's actually no, a real it, photo. No, it's entirely... Now that I understand that, my first instinct was, how... And I have a degree in physics, and eventually I remembered enough of my optics course in second year. Uh, sorry, Professor Vanderburk, you didn't do quite as good a job as you thought. Um, <laughs> eventually enough of it seeped back into memory that I understand how it works. But someone with a wonderfully nerdy brain saw that, grabbed their phone, and snapped it, and it's wonderful. Yep. Yep, definitely. It's a very good thing. So anyway, thank you, Alistair, for posting that in our Slack over at podfeed.com slash Slack. Yeah. Everybody should join. And if anyone ever trusts me, and they would be foolish to do so, but if anyone ever trusts me to lecture optics, I would absolutely put that on my lecture slides immediately. (laughs) That would be great. All right, Bart. Well, we managed to stretch this out with some fun about phones and uh, the little bit of security news. I'm sure sure the hackers will be back at work enough to keep us entertained in a couple of weeks. on the one hand, I know you like to have content, but on the other hand, do we really want to wish for the hackers to have a good two weeks? <laughs> nope. Nope. Either way, though, whether the hackers are still distracted or whether they're back at it, regardless, the advice remains the same. Remember, folks, stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Big thanks to Ryan Winkler for sending in that audio review. That allowed me to have more fun in Zion last week or this most recent week. So I really appreciate the support. 
you know, you too can send in an audio review. And how would you do that? You would do that by sending it to allison at podfeed.com. You can also send in dumb questions and comments to me at that address. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. Now remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. Want to become a lovely Patreon like those people we talked about earlier? Podfeed.com slash Patreon. Maybe you want to give a one-time donation. You don't want to do a recurring donation. Do podfeed.com slash PayPal. If you want to join our community, you can join our Slack at podfeed.com slash Slack or our Facebook group at podfeed.com slash Facebook. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Mozilla Castaways. We still miss you, Kevin. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.